Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Man podcast. I'm Scott Eklund, and joining me today is Brandon Huffman. Brandon is the director of scouting for, or director of recruiting for 247. And uh, Brandon, how are you doing, man? Oh, living the dream, looking outside that I can't go out, and just having a great time being quarantined. Yeah, uh, you've got three kids there and with mm-hmm. you and your wife. Um, you've had a lot more time with them and your wife this time of year than you normally would. It's one of those things where like, I'm used to them being home and having worked at home for the better part of a decade. It's not unusual to have the kids at home. It's just that Christmas or summer vacation started three months earlier than I was normally used to this year. Yeah, definitely. And has it been, yeah. And has it been weird that you haven't been out watching kids in the spring? I'm, I'm sure after doing it for what you've, you're pretty close to 20 years now, right? I'm at, yeah, it's my 18th year, so yeah, yeah. getting close there. It's, it's been weird because there's been three weekends already that I was supposed to have been on the road just since this hit, and I was supposed to be in Vegas this last weekend for the Polynesian Bowl Combine Showcase. I was supposed to be down in, in Vancouver for a 7-on-7 tournament, supposed to be a 7-on-7 tournament this weekend. You know, I had more camps and going to. Now it's, you know, even the camps that are scheduled for May and June, who knows if those will even happen, so you know, it, it feels like I should have more time on my hands, especially with my kids' sports and activities being canceled. But it feels like I'm even busier now than I've been, you know, just trying to keep up with what's going on. A lot more schools are being aggressive, offering recruits, even though they're not seen as. So there's not really been any kind of replacement for, you know, the busyness. Yeah, definitely. Brandon, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to get together with you on this podcast, and we'll get right into it, is there's a lot of stuff going on with recruiting behind the scenes right now. A lot of virtual tours, a lot of a lot of virtual recruiting that coaches are going through right now. Washington is definitely doing that quite a bit with the guys that they're after. And I just wanted to talk through some of the recruits, where things are leaning right now, because I think the way Washington was building their momentum is they wanted to really have a great spring game, a big spring game with a lot of guys coming into camp or I'm sorry, coming to campus to, to come and see the spring game. And since that's not happening, I think Husky fans are kind of left in the lurch. They don't know exactly what's going on. So I wanted to get in depth with some of the top guys on Washington's radar. All right. Sounds good to me. All right. So, um, you know what? I'll leave the two biggest ones at this point for toward the end here as as we kind of go through stuff. But uh, the first ones that I, I really want to talk about, well, we can talk about one of the biggest on, the, on one of the biggest recruits they have and the only out-of-state five-star that's really given them a, a really strong look at this point. And that's Troy Franklin, the wide receiver out of Menlo Atherton. He's about 6'3", uh, 200 and, or I'm sorry, 185, 190 pounds. Big-time wide receiver from down there, even though he's in a run-first offense. 
uh, still puts up a lot of big numbers, uh, good catches, everything like that. He can do kind of do everything. Brandon, I crystal balled uh, Troy Franklin to Washington about three weeks ago, and and um, the Oregon guys have gone ahead and crystal balled him to uh, uh, Oregon. And I guess I just wanted to get your take on where you think things stand at this point. Well, I, I think both team sites have reason to feel confident in putting that crystal ball pick in for their respective schools. Uh, You'll notice I had not put a crystal ball in anywhere yet because I I still think we're a long way away from a decision being made. And I think there's a couple schools that haven't been mentioned yet, Arizona State and Cal and USC, uh, that are still very much in it. And I'm also not going to count out Alabama because I know Alabama's still after him pretty heavily uh, as well. So I think in this case, yeah, Washington and Oregon are two schools that are kind of in constants in his recruitment. He's got the obvious ties to Washington with Daniel Hamuli and Noah Nalu being there. Uh, Oregon, he's got a good relationship you know, with uh, some of the players that are at Oregon, and specifically on, on the coaching standpoint, Jim Mastro, the running backs coach who recruits the San Jose Silicon Valley area where Franklin's from, uh, but they also lost their receivers coach that had been recruiting him, Javon Bonite. Uh, however, he ended up visiting Oregon just probably two days after Bonite left, got a chance to meet uh, Joe Moorhead while he was there and seemed to hit it off with them. So uh, I know that Oregon and Washington both have reason to feel good. Obviously, Washington uh, has had Sam Heward in their corner playing seven on seven with Troy uh, on the national scale. Troy also plays for a local team in the Bay Area. So I think those two schools are, are certainly at the top, but I also think that you can't sleep on Arizona State for him. Uh, I know he really likes Arizona State, really likes Prentice Gill, their new receivers coach uh, as well. And I think Cal is also making a little bit of a move uh, in, in the recruitment, though I think that they probably offered a little too late uh, for him. USC is another school that I know he's been enamored with, and obviously their recent run of receivers has been something that's endearing uh, to Franklin, but I still think there's a long way to go, and that's why I'm still on foggy for him. Yeah, and and I think the reason why I put it in when I did was because I thought that he was going to – I knew – well, he told me he was coming up for the spring game, and I thought they were going to make a heavy push for him. And Washington usually makes a heavy push for him. They usually get their guy. And so I thought thought they had a good chance of doing that. But one of the things I know you and I have talked about a little bit was not that he doesn't like Jimmy Lake, but that Chris Peterson, if he was the head coach at the University of Washington – the relationship that he had with him and the the trajectory of the program and everything like that was more in line with what he was looking for rather than a guy who's an unproven head coach. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that really endeared Washington to him in the first place was the, the interaction he had with Chris Peterson when he was up on campus last June, when he was offered by the Huskies, he went to their camp. Uh, I think that same week when Jalen McMillan was also there, who he had played some on the seven on seven circuit with, with FSP, uh, but it was really the one-on-one time he got with Chris Peterson as well as with Junior Adams. And so the one thing the Huskies have working in their favor is that Junior Adams is still around, even if Peterson's not. Uh, but that also, you know, is something that the Huskies do lose is he really did fill a connection with Peterson on that visit. Peterson really made a big impression on his mother on that trip as well. And so now that's something that Jimmy Lake's going to have to replicate when and if he gets a chance to get him back up on campus. 
Uh, let's go to the offensive line. Uh, we'll skip over the two big names right now. Um, obviously, Sam Heward is that third big name for Washington in the state. Uh, he's already been committed to Washington for almost, uh, what, a year and a half now. And yeah. uh, there's no way he's not going to wind up at the University of Washington. So, you know, we don't really need to talk a lot about him other than his influence on other recruits. We can do that in a second. But Owen Prentice, the uh, old lineman from O'Day, you and I both put crystal ball selections in for him as soon as he we kind of got some information out that, you know, Washington was pretty close to offering him and he showed up to camp. And you and I felt both pretty good about the chance of him winding up as a Husky. And I still feel pretty good about it. But things have really picked up with Stanford. I, I mean, they've picked up over the last, what, three or four months, basically since the end of the football season. And. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on Owen Prentice and where Washington stands with him? He, by, by the way, for those that don't know, he's 6'3", 295 pounds, the anchor of that offensive line and defensive line to a certain extent for O'Day, which is going to be a really good uh, team, hopefully this fall, if we play some football. Yeah, and, and I would say that I think you're going to look a lot smarter keeping your crystal ball on Washington than I am for going on Foggy. But I do think Stanford is very, very, very much a threat for him. His older brother and his older sister both play rugby at Harvard. So playing high-level athletics at a high-level academic institution is kind of something that runs in the family. Um, I know Stanford was an offer he's coveted for quite some time. He visited there a couple times and then also took a return visit in early March to Stanford to go back there. Um, So I know that the Cardinal are very much on his Short, short list. I, I think it's going to ultimately be a Stanford-Utah battle for him. Um, the only reason I think Cal kind of still sticks around in there for a little while is because of his love for rugby. His family is very involved in the rugby world, um, both locally and internationally. And Cal's rugby program is renowned. But I think Stanford is the school he would pick if he leaves the state. And leaving the state would require him as the baby of the family to, to leave home. And that's where I think Washington probably holds on to him. But this one, I think, will go down for a while because I do feel like he's going through the whole process with Stanford. We'll apply. We'll um, wait for his admission. Um, and I think he's likely to be admitted. And so then it just becomes a matter, does he go to Stanford, which seems to be training down a little bit as a program right now? Uh, or does he stay home? And I think that that's going to be, you know, what this ultimately comes down to is, is it the homeschool or is it the school he's kind of grown up, you know, thinking about playing for? as a high-level academic, uh, but I, I really like Scott Hutch's chances right now. Just haven't put enough love into it to put the crystal ball back on Washington just yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm i leaving mine because I'm loath to make them in the first place. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is go and change them all the time. So um, I'm going to leave it where it is, but uh, I know it's going to be a battle, and I do agree with you. I think it's Stanford, UW, with an outside shot at maybe a school like um, Michigan, if they came in and really pursued him hard because they they because of the academics as well. But I, I think it's Washington, Stanford, and then everybody else. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, as far as Quentin Somerville, the uh, 
strong side D end. Um, that's what we have him rated as. He could be a he could be a buck in Washington scheme or or uh, whatever. For a three four, he could be a stand up guy, but most think he might end up with his being big enough to put his hand on the ground. He's six two two thirty right now. Um, he's out of Saguaro High School, where Washington has had some success. And he was another guy who was supposed to come up later this month for the spring game. And and I thought there was a really good chance to could really in at that point. I know he's not necessarily your area per se. That's Blair Angulo, who does a hell of a job, by the way. Uh, for those who aren't following him, go over to Blair. He does a lot of good stuff with Mountain and the and the Arizona kids. And he even does some some California kids. But he's really focusing on those Hawaii and Utah and Arizona kids. But Brandon, give me your thoughts on Quentin Somerville. Where does Washington stand in this? You know, I think Washington's in a good spot for him. I know that they've been on his short list for some time. He does have a lot of national interest uh, from some schools nationally, Florida State, Georgia, Michigan. Uh, he's got Auburn, LSU have offered, Ohio State had offered, um, had a teammate, you know, go to Georgia. Um, and Keely Ringo's had kind of teammates sign with everybody because Suarez's been in such a good program. Uh, but obviously, Jacoby Covington at Washington. I, I think if there's one school that, that's kind of a wild card here, it's Arizona State. Um, just because the way that they've recruited these last couple of years under Herm Edwards has been pretty remarkable. Um, I think he's far outdone the success, outperformed the success that was expected of him. And it's been a matter of, hey, they've done a really good job of recruiting in California and recruiting in other states. Haven't done as great a job of recruiting in their own state, but it kind of just takes one class, maybe one or two guys to really signal that there's a, a full uh, – culture change and i think that you know somerville now you're in, he's in year three of her medwards arizona state's certainly going to prioritize him his defensive line coach at saguaro high school uh, kyle caldwell played at arizona state so you know obviously there's some ties there his brother jordan had been an admin at arizona state before joining uh, the full-time staff at the university of new mexico uh, so arizona state's going to be a school that that's a factor there the one thing that you can say maybe hurts arizona state is that saguaro kids with the exception of Kyle Cowell, how many, however many years ago that was, Saguaro kids haven't been wanting to stay in state. They've been more likely to leave the state. So that gives a school like Washington a chance. But I also think there is he is quite enamored with some of the national programs. So I don't think this one's going to be shortening. I don't think he's going to be shortening his list too much to making a commitment. Now, I still think that there's a lot of peaks and valleys uh, in, in Quentin Somerville's recruitment left still. But I do feel like Washington's going to be in it all the way until the very end. Do you where do you see him on the pecking order of edge players on on the West Coast? I mean, Corey Foreman is the number one guy. He's committed to to Clemson, and he's out of Corona Centennial. Big athlete, just freak athlete that uh, I know a lot of Pac-12 schools wanted, didn't end up getting him. But where do you put Summer Somerville? Because there's some pretty good edge players this year. Yeah, and I know we had JT list as a defensive tackle, but I think when the spring evals come back out we're going to end up having Melissa as a defensive end so I think with JT and Corey Foreman they're in a tier all themselves there's a reason they're the top two players in the country I think there's a pretty significant gap between JT Corey and then the next group of guys but I think he kind of leads that next group of guys you know along with like a Nathan Rollins Kabanje out of Portland who I know the Bofford you know he's got probably more upside than any player in this class at that position that that includes JT and Corey Foreman largely because it's 6'6", 6'7", 240-ish, you know, 245. He's got this long frame, but this is his first year playing football. 
and he was a Pac-12 basketball commit. So I, I think Rollins Cabanje in, in six months from now, if we have a season in, in 10 months from now, we may say Rollins ahead of Quinton. Um, Quinton doesn't have the physical upside that, that Nathan Rollins Cabanje has, but he's got the experience. He's, you know, he's a little bit more developed as a player. So I would say he kind of leads that second tier of pass rushers out West. Okay. Uh, Voy, is it Tanu Ufi? Yeah. Uh, out, out of East High School in Salt Lake, Salt Lake uh, yep. City. Yeah, he's a he's a defensive tackle prospect, and Washington has been on him for a little while. I know they like uh, um, the kid out of Hawaii. What is it, Kuau Pehapa? Um, and uh, they like him more as a defensive lineman. We've got him listed as an offensive lineman in our database, but Washington likes him as an interior guy. I do you think that? Tunu Ufi is is a guy that that Washington can use as is he a three technique is he a is he a uh, if they were to get him obviously is he a three technique or is he a defensive tackle or a nose tackle? I, I think he ends up being a nose tackle. I don't know that he he's athletic and quick enough off the edge or, uh, as a three tech. I think he's a guy that's going to be more of a space eater. He he's quick for being two sixty five. Uh, I would say, but I think you know he, he's probably closer to six one. And probably going to play about 295, 300-ish, you know, early on in his career. May end up being a little bit bigger. He ends up being a little bit more of a space builder. He's not quite that pass rusher. Like, you want maybe a three-tech to be where he's a little bit quicker off the ball, a little bit more explosive, and can get under, and he's got more technique than a lot of the true interior guys. So I think he ends up being more of a nose. Uh, But, you know, if you look at the track record of the East defense alignment, I mean, you you look at just what Apoika did as a true freshman starting at LSU on a national championship team, you know, these guys are used to coming in and playing at a high level that there's not a big learning curve for them. So if he can put the weight in, he's the kind of guy that comes in. I think he's, he's playing and he's in a rotation pretty quickly in his career. Uh, is, is he further along at this point or is he a better prospect than Sam Taimani was uh, coming no. out of there? No, I, and I'd say that largely because, remember, at one point we thought Sam Taimani was an offensive lineman. Offensive so, lineman, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was the guy that we were really always high on on the offensive side of the ball. He, he ultimately uh, became a defensive lineman, but we had him rated as an offensive lineman pretty much throughout his recruitment. Um, and, and I loved Sam as a prospect, and I still do. I mean, he was a four-star, he's a top two, four, seven guy. Um, so I'm not quite ready to put him in that same breath. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the last couple of years of East High School with Taimani and then with Apuica and the class following, that's a great program in Salt Lake City. Guys that are, you know, just uh, they're warriors. They're, they're battlers. Those are guys that, you know, you love that when you get get them in there, you know, they've already got kind of a mentality to to make that adjustment to the collegiate level and they can come in and play right away. So they, there doesn't have to be as steep of a learning curve for him. Um, wanted to get to some linebackers. Washington has a pretty, I, when I say loaded at this point, it's all inexperienced talent in the middle, um, uh-huh. uh, for the most part. Um, but, um, they have a lot of talent there. It just depends on how they develop, but they're still looking for at least one, if not two middle linebackers and possibly a guy that they would even take as a middle linebacker, but possibly move outside to Sam. And right now, the the guys that they're in on, uh, they actually have a really good shot with all four of them that I can see. Ethan Calvert out of Oaks Christian. Uh, that his brother Josh Calvert is at the, actually at University of Washington right now. 
uh, Wyndon Ho'ohuli out of Mililani out there in Hawaii, Easton Mascarenas from Mission Viejo, and Trey Reynolds from Queens Creek in or Queen Creek in Arizona. So, of those guys, who do you see Washington with the best chance of grabbing? Because I know that Ethan Calvert, as much as Washington has a really good relationship with the Calvert family, he seems like his brothers in that he probably wants to go his own way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. You know, I think that obviously USC is a school that's going to be linked to Ethan Calvert quite a bit. Um, for people that you know don't remember Bo, his oldest brother is recruiting much. Bo was committed to USC since he was a sophomore in high school. And then just before signing day, he ended up flipping to UCLA. Um, and there had been some kind of cold feelings with uh, the way the process was handled on USC side of things. Uh, but those coaches that were a part of that recruitment are no longer at USC. And there's new coaches in, in place there. Craig Nivar is a safeties coach who's kind of recruiting that area. Todd Orlando, the new defense coordinator. And they really made Ethan Calvert a priority. And, and like Josh went his own way from Bo, I think that that's something that Ethan is seriously considering it is going a different route. And I think that that's something that, you know, both Washington and UCLA are kind of disappointed about because Ethan's the best of the three of them. And it's funny because Ethan is the one that Josh and Bo, I remember when, when Bo was a, sophomore in high school and Josh is a freshman. I've got family ties at Oaks. My, my dad works there. My nephews have gone there. And I remember first talking to them about it and they're like, hey, our youngest brother is going to be the best. And I remember talking about that with Ethan. He said, you know, it's funny. I keep reading how they say this, but they never tell me that in person. I'm like, well, welcome to being the baby of the family. They're never yeah. going to tell you you're the best. They're going to, they may tell other people, but they're never going to tell you. Uh, but you watch Ethan play and you see, you know, why that they why they said that. And he's he's a talent. He's one of the best pure inside backers in the country and certainly out West. Uh, but I know he, that Washington isn't going to sit idly by. And I think, you know, I don't want to say this as a guarantee. It's just something that I think Husky fans can consider. I mean, you never want to see a guy lose a year to an injury. But if there's a blessing in disguise to Josh, maybe losing that freshman year to the knee injury. And remember, I think Husky fans are well aware of my admiration for Josh, where I, I would say I'm just about anybody who would ask, he was my favorite football player in that 2019 class in the West region. And a guy that I thought would have had a chance to come in and play right away last year before the injury. So now, you know, he comes back from the knee injury. And well, now, you know, instead of maybe him being a three and out type guy, if he hasn't seen the fact, maybe he's now more likely to be a four-year guy because he's got to get his knee right. Well, that now gives him potentially two years to play with Ethan as opposed to maybe just one year to play with Ethan. So that's something that I think the Huskies could have in their back pocket as a potential. But I think that they definitely have their work cut out for him in terms of recruiting Ethan because he is you know, more highly recruited than, than his brothers were. and He's got a lot of national attention. So he's the guy that the Huskies will certainly have to work hard to get and just because they got Ethan uh, just because they have Josh on campus doesn't mean they're going to get Ethan and I think USC is going to have a lot to say there I like Wyndham Huhuli I think he you know we, we have him as the number one player in the state of Hawaii uh, in the composite he's number two behind Mason Tufunga uh, Mason Tufunga a little bit overshadowed last year by um, Jordan Vitello and uh, Kerbig whereas I think Wyndham coming out of the Milani program that's a program that's overshadowed a lot and you look at you know what, what McKenzie Milton 
uh, has done at USF with Dylan Gabriel. I'm sorry, UCF with Dylan Gabriel has done at UCF. Those Milani kids can they can play, and I like Wyndon's length and his upside. Got a chance to see him in January uh, at the uh, Iron Sharpens Iron Camp in Hawaii. Uh, a lot to like there. Easton Mascarenas, another kid, not real big kid, not real tall. Um, Arizona, keep an eye on them. His mom played softball there. His uncle played uh, football at UCLA, so good bloodlines there. Uh, I know that you know he's pretty tight with Maven Anderson, who committed to Cal. So if Cal offers him. They'll be uh, they'll be competitive for him, but right now I'd say you know Arizona, Washington, and Boise State are kind of the three that he's really favoring. Uh, and then he, he brings the wood every time he, oh, he plays. He will, so, he will knock yeah. your head off. I mean, my wife's originally from Mission Viejo before she moved up to Linden, so she's got some South Orange County ties, and then she ended up being up there in farm country in Linden. But you know, when I I like to make fun of the Mission Viejo people because my brother-in-law went to Mission Viejo, and like for being your typical soft Orange County kids, Easton Mascarenas is not a soft. Orange, South Orange County kid at all. And I don't usually make that joke to anybody that didn't go to Mission Viejo or to Mission <laughs> just my brother-in-law. But Easton Mascarenas, he, he will. He will come knock your head off. He's a thumper. His uncle, Alex, uh, was very much that same way. He was a little bit of an undersized safety at Mission Viejo before he went on to UCLA. Actually had to retire from concussions, partly because he was such a big hitter, but that's how Easton is. He will come and he will lay you out with the chance he gets. And, and that's how Trey Reynolds is. You know, I think he's another yeah. guy that he, he's physical – he loves to hit. He loves to initiate contact. Um, a guy that I think is, you know, a little bit, again, another one of those kids that is maybe a little bit overshadowed by some of the, the really good talent in state, uh, but a guy that I think, you know, down the line could end up being one of the better backers in the West and certainly one of the better players in the state of Arizona. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Logan Fano, real quick, 6'4", 220 pounds out of Temp View, and it sounds like Washington is one of the schools that has pushed their way up into that top three with uh, BYU and Utah. Yeah, as they should. BYU had a commitment from him before he opened things up, so you know that'll give Washington a chance. Obviously, they you know have never had a problem recruiting LDS kids that have considered going on a mission. Uh, you know, he we have him at twenty four seven as the number two player in the state of Utah after Kingsley Sumataya. Uh, but I think Logan Fano. I mean, I've had a couple schools in the fact last two weeks, in fact, reach out and ask me, you know, how good is he? I said he's really good. I mean, he's a tip view kid. He's going to come. I mean, you, you, you have a hard time finding the state of Utah that that don't have some nasty to them. They're they're nice kids off the field, but you put them between the lines and they, they're savages. And Michigan's coming after him. They like him as an end guy. Um, I, I think that, you know, with his length and his athleticism, he's got a chance to be really good at the next level. And I think Washington wisely is making a play for him. Uh, cousin of Puka Nakua and an actual cousin, not uh, <laughs> how a lot of the, the cousin. Yeah, I knew you whenever people don't understand this. When, when a poly kid tells us, oh, yeah, that's my cousin. You're like, OK. Uh, is this your actual family yeah. cousin, or is this like, just well, a guy you call your cousin? Simo- yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> you oh, my my mom and his mom went to school together. My yeah. Oh, that's not how cousins work. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so, all right, uh, let's move on to some other guys, some other names. I just want to go through a few real quickly here. Philip Riley out of uh, Florida, but it's from from the state of Washington. You know, yes. played down at Lakes. Uh, I, I saw him play as a was. Did he play up here as a sophomore as well, or was it just yeah. as a freshman? Moved down last spring, oh, so after his sophomore okay. year at Lakes, and then spent yeah, and he he started as a freshman and a sophomore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a kid that I saw last spring playing for FSP before he made that move. And you know, it, I I was having this conversation with one of the guys at FSP, Ryan Clary, this week. Like, you know, I wonder what his recruitment would have been like had he stayed at Lakes. I don't think it would have been as big as it is now because I don't think he gets a Clemson offer or a Florida State offer. If he's still at Lakes, he's probably more of a Pac-12 recruit where he's got the majority of the Pac-12 schools coming after him. But what he's done in a pretty competitive league and a pretty good region of the country has attracted a lot of eyes from the Southern schools and the ACC schools. But because he's a West Coast kid, he are seeing a lot of the Pac-12 schools get involved and then kind of everybody else in between. him. So, you know, he, he's been a guy that, that I have told, you know, I've said if he'd been in the West, he would have absolutely been a top two four seven candidate for me, and I think he ultimately ends up in the top two four seven. You know, he, he's gotten bigger, he's gotten stronger, he's gotten faster, just kind of everything that you, that you're looking for. And it, you know, it's a shame because you know for um, for all the players that Dave Miller loses early because guys move with a, a lot of them. You know, for people that don't military. know, lakes, yeah, lakes gets gets hurt a lot by kids moving around because of their family being in the military. And Philip Riley, you know, could have been in. Reggie Williams slash, you know, Jermaine Curse, Cavario Middleton territory in terms of what kind of national recruit he was uh, at Lakes had he stayed. Um, but, you know, there's still the possibility he comes back West. Uh, I do know that he's not married to the idea of coming back West. It's not like he feels like, oh, I got to go back home where I started. He's really becoming enamored by some of the Southern schools, some of the Midwest schools, too. But Washington, being that he's playing with FSP, been playing with Sam, they're, they're certainly going to be among the, the schools in serious contention for him. I think they'll be – as long as they don't drop him because of numbers, um, I think they'll be in it till the end. Would you say that's pretty close to accurate or – I would, I would say that's pretty close to accurate, yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Steven Ortiz is a guy that uh, Blair uh, crystal balled and I crystal balled. I'd, I'd been feeling pretty confident that Steven Ortiz, the cornerback out of Desert Edge, uh, 5'10", 170 pounds, was coming to the University of Washington. I still feel pretty good about that, but obviously this COVID thing has put a little bit of a damper on that. Yeah, it has. Now, thankfully, if you're Washington, you know he's pretty familiar with the program. Again, having played for FSP the last two years, he never really had any ties up here. It's not like Philip Riley, who was a Lakes kid and grew up playing for FSP. Ortiz just kind of hooked up with FSP last year going into a sophomore year uh, and started to get familiar with the team. So he's been up to Seattle a number of times, understands the area, understands the culture. So I don't think it's one of those that maybe hurts Washington like maybe other guys it would have hurt him with because I think he's familiar with them enough as it is. Don't want to don't want, I meant to ask you this when we were talking about Philip Riley, Riley, and I don't want to go too long in this, but do you think he could, Philip Riley would be, could play safety at the next level? Or do you think he's purely a slot or uh, outside corner? No, I think he could play any spot in the secondary. I think he could play nickel. I think he could play corner. I think he could play safety. I think he's he's got elite coverage ability, and he's really shown that this spring on the seven-on-seven circuit. But as he's gotten bigger, you see a guy that I think could play safety, play that center field role. He's got great ball skills, uh, really you know high football IQ type guy. But then you can bring him up and play nickel, and he can he's got the strength to, to you know go up against a tight end 
or you know a bigger physical inside receiver type, but also the quickness that he can cover a running back if he needs to. He can cover a slot if he needs to. All right. Uh, what, so they already got Zakari Spears. So Washington already has one uh, defensive back prospect, although some people are still kind of wondering where he ends up because he's been told to be ready to play anywhere in the secondary. Um, but Sierra Wright, his teammate there at Loyola High School, hasn't been offered by Washington. And you and I were talking about it at a local event that we were at together. And the feeling is that Sierra Wright is a better athlete, but is it, do you think some of it has to do with maybe they don't think that he's a better fit on defense? He's probably better on offense. I, I think with Spears, you know, he's longer, he's a little bit taller, he's a little bit bigger. Whereas, you know, right early on in his career was more of a track guy playing football instead of a football guy who runs track. And now I think he's, his junior year has really shown he's a football guy with track speed. And, and so, you know, I, I like Spears, and I think Spears is going to be a really good player. I, I do like Sierra Wright a little bit more just because of the speed and the quickness that he has. He's faster than, than Spears. Uh, but I think Spears, you know, has a, a lot of upside, too. I think he's got a chance to be a good player in college. I just think Wright's got a little bit more physical physically to him in terms of the, the twitch, the, uh, the speed, and the athleticism. You, you just want your corners to be a little bit more twitchy, and that's where I think he's a little bit twitchier than Spears. But Spears has got that length to him where he might be the guy that's going to draw more of the bigger physical cor- or physical receivers, whereas you know Rod can cover a few more guys and, and really be kind of your speed DB. But what, why would you think that I, – I, look, I'm not asking you to get in the head of the Washington coaching staff, but what would be a reason for not offering Sierra Wright from Washington's standpoint at this point? Uh, that's a very good question. You know, maybe okay. – <laughs> I, I, I don't know because, I mean, and again, I, I like Spears, but I think if you look at, at their recruitments, you know, it, it's, it's pretty obvious that a lot more schools are higher on Sierra Wright and I think part of it's because of that speed. I think, you know, he's got okay. to verify testing times too. And, and that might be the question, you know, is, is, you know, even though he's got to verify testing times, is he still, you know, be in the minds of the Washington coaches, he's still a track guy playing football. Okay. Uh, real quick. I'm going to go real quick. Cause I want to get to the two big names that we need to talk about and talk about them a little bit longer. So I want to go real quick with this Julian Simon, Washington just made it into his top. What did he release? Eight top eight. Yes, is that what it was? Eight, yep. Yeah. Do you is this a Washington Cal thing? Washington USC? Where where is this one headed? Do you think? I think this is Washington. I think it's Stanford as well. Stanford's recruiting play receiver, which he's very much open to. I think USC is very much in it as well. I don't. Cal was a kind of a surprise. I, I wasn't expecting to see Cal in that top eight. Um, I was not surprised to see Texas from Michigan. In fact, when I was uh, texting with a, with a colleague on Monday about it, and I said, I think it's going to be pretty heavily in the Pac-12, but Texas from Michigan will be two of the national schools in it. And they were two of the national schools in it, but I think he's Pac-12 bound. I, right now, I would say Washington probably has the edge for him. Um, I think that even though Washington's talking to him about running back, I still think his future is on defense. And yeah, you know, yeah, Stanford's me too. talking to him as a receiver. It's kind of like, oh, Stanford, you know, I'm sure you'd like him to play some receiver for you, but, you know, I think his best chance to flourish in college is on defense. I think he will go through the process, and I will say that there is a wild card here. If LSU does offer him, he was supposed to visit at the end of March, but that got pushed back because of coronavirus shutting everything down. 
you still can't count LSU out. And if they offer, they will become a top nine right away. And I could see him committing to LSU on the spot if that were to be the case. It's just at this point, does LSU offer? Yeah, and the the problem with with kids from the state of Washington looking to go to LSU, and one of the reasons they don't get a lot of offers is because LSU can find a lot of guys that are really good players up here within driving distance for them. Sure. And, and, and that's the thing. Like yeah. They, they, they kind of have the pick of the litter in the state because they're one of the few big states that produces talent like that that doesn't have another FBS – I'm sorry, another Power 5 program in their own state. So they don't have to basically deal with another in-state Power 5 program. They deal with Tulane. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but by the way, Den- uh, Julian uh, Simon is a 6'2", 221-pound athlete in the 24-7 uh, database. He's out of Lincoln High School. He's being recruited to play several different positions. Washington likes him as a linebacker. Running back, as Brennan alluded to. But uh, there are some schools looking at him as a receiver. Uh, Denzel Burke, the athlete out of Saguaro, six foot, one hundred eighty-nine pounds. I know Washington just made his, or I'm sorry, he hasn't announced it, made his big announcement. But it sounds like he's gonna do his his uh, list here pretty soon, and I do expect Washington to be on that list. Yeah, I think it's gonna be like a top thirty-seven or something. But uh, <laughs> well, it, the it, thing it, is, a lot of stuff has been taken away, so they're using the the. Um, they're using the All-Star Games as big announcements, and they're using um, they're using their top tens as their big announcement. They're not even making their commitments big announcements anymore. No, exactly. It. Now it's like big announcement dropping at eight. So whenever I see that, I text the kid I'm like, hey, can I get in top eight schools? Oh, it's actually a top five. I'm like, okay, but at least I knew that it wasn't your committee. <laughs> it was how many schools you're narrowing it down to. And, you know, Blair and I were talking about that on our West of the Rest podcast. If you don't listen, you want to listen to something that's not just about the Husky, but it's about West recruiting. We listen to the West of the Rest podcast. It's on all your favorite podcast channels. But re- uh, besides that point, Scott, thanks for the tip our podcast it's that's really what this is now guys are, are trying to add a little drama to the recruitment and you know announcing and releasing top eights top fives whatever it may be uh, but i also think in, in a way they're kind of doing some schools a favor because with the limit on what schools can and can and cannot do right now due to covid i think this is now allowing schools that hey they're not, they know they're not getting on the road but now it's like, why well, spend time chasing a kid on Zoom or on FaceTime if we're not even in the top eight, if we don't love him? You know, if he's a kid that we love and he's not in his top eight, we'll keep trying. But if it's a kid that we like, we'll move on to the next kid. Uh, last one from out of state. We'll do one more athlete and then we'll talk about the big two. Jalen Smith, the cornerback, uh, well, athlete, but I, I, I know Washington really likes him as a cornerback. Jalen Smith out of Bishop Alamany, 5'11", 180 pounds. Yep. Kid that's coming from a really good program, a school that I would have expected a number of college programs to be at in the spring. He's a four-star on 24-7. We have him listed as an athlete because he can play really on either side of the ball, but I think he he probably really projects more as a defensive back. Um, You know, one of those guys that with with Alamany, having Miller Moss, one of the top uncommitted quarterbacks in the country, um, having some elite underclassmen there. Jalen Smith was a guy that I thought was in line to really see his recruitment take off this spring. 
just because I thought more schools would come through Elamaney and get a chance to see him, you know, because he's not six foot, because he's 5'11", 180, I think that's been the one thing that's maybe, you know, he's only got maybe a dozen offers right now, which is not very much if you, you think about the caliber of some of those offers that he has. Um, I know that Washington's there in the mix for him. I know Arizona State's very much in the mix for him with uh, Chris Hawkins, now their DB coach, recruiting him. I know that he's very high in USC. Dante Williams has been a player. I've uh, been a coach that's really been present in his recruitment, had originally offered him at Oregon. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of Pac-12 schools involved there. I think Clemson is involved, but I, I just don't see him ending up at Clemson. I think they're going to pursue players uh, a little bit more closer to South Carolina than they will out west for non uh, player that we'll talk about in a minute or non-bow call-ins. Um, so I think this will be mostly a Pac-12 race for Jalen Smith. All right. And then Will Latu, the linebacker running back out of Bethel High School down there in Spanaway, 6'2". We've got him listed at 221, but I just <laughs> I can't believe that he's still 221 pounds, if that's really true. What do you think? Uh, I, you know, usually where we have kids that put their weight more than it normally is by a lot. It's not often that you have a kid who puts their weight under what it really is. And, you know, I actually, I will say that I did see Will in Vegas at the, the pylon seven on seven. He actually probably looked the best that he's looked in a couple of years. So I don't think it's, it's unrealistic to think he's in that 220, 225 range. Uh, but he definitely has the body that could get bigger and not in a good way if he doesn't really crack down on it. So um, Washington's still the favorite at this point, you think? I, I think so. I think it's a matter of like that's if they want him, right? Time. Yeah. If, if he's got a spot, Washington will take him. Um, it's just a matter of just, you know how long does he let the process go? I would say one school to keep an eye on in, in his recruitment though could be Utah, and that's largely because. He's got a lot of ties to Utah. He's got family in Utah. And his brother, Peter, who was originally committed to Oregon, is now headed to Snow College in the state of Utah. So, you know, don't be surprised if Utah really picks things up with him and ends up potentially getting him. But I think if Washington wants him and Washington really prioritizes him later on the spring, if not sooner, then I think Washington gets him. But I think there's going to be some competition from Utah there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the two. I don't want to call them elephants in the room because uh, that means they're, <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're not elephants. They are fluid, unbelievable athletes. But uh, they're the elephants in the room. Let's talk about the the one right now, uh, Emeka Egbuka from Stillicum. Wide, we've got him rated as a wide receiver. You and I both think he could be an All American safety. I mean, he is he is a special special player. Anytime the ball gets in his hands, he can take it the distance. It doesn't really matter. He can return punts, kicks, doesn't matter with him. He's rated as a receiver, and that's his preferred position. Um, put up ridiculous numbers, helped lead still come to the state title game where they lost to Tumwater. But it, I don't want to say single-handedly because he had some pretty talented kids on that team, but come on. I mean, it's it's kind of single-handedly there's reports coming out of the Ohio state site 
um, Bucknuts, who does a really good job, by the way, um, but that they're hearing that there is no way that Emeka Egbuka winds up at the University of Washington. Now, Brandon, if I'm wrong, tell me, and and that's fine. But I don't I don't see it at this point as Washington being completely locked out. I do believe, and I've been saying it for a while, that Washington trails both Ohio State and Clemson. Am I right in that? Yeah. Okay. And I think, but you know, to to follow up on what you said, though, I don't think unless your dad was the head coach at a school and he got fired from that school. If you have an offer from the local school, you can never, ever count out a local school, um, unless you're from Los Angeles, in which case you can count out the local schools because they can't <laughs> seem to keep anybody in state. Or if Steve Sarkeesian was your head coach, in which case he struggled to keep the, the lock on this state when you really think about it outside of one class. But I think in the case of Mecca, no, you absolutely cannot count Washington. I mean, if you look at my crystal ball, it's still on Washington. Now, is that foolish? Probably because I do think Washington's running third for him right now. And I think they have a long way to go to pass Ohio State and Clemson. But if I was less confident that Washington had zero chance of keeping him in state, I would have taken my crystal ball off the Huskies a long time ago. A, it's going to be worth a lot of points if for some reason he ends up staying with Washington. But I haven't been able to pull the trigger because Clemson and Ohio State are that close to each other in his race right now. I mean, you can even say that it's, you know, 41% or, you know, 40, 48% Ohio State, 47 or 49% Clemson, and maybe 3% Washington. But I'm still not convinced that Washington's out because what if Ohio State and Clemson keep canceling each other out? Then you've got the local angle. I think if Emeka's willing to wait until after the season or at least until late in the season to make his commitment, that bodes well for Washington in the sense that it gives them six to eight games, assuming we have a season, six to eight games for John Donovan to show what the Husky offense is capable of because he knows what the, what the Clemson offense is capable of. He knows what the Ohio State offense is capable of. He also knows that both have good quarterbacks coming in the pike, whereas Washington has a good quarterback coming in the pike, but how will the offense look this year? He doesn't know what kind of offense they're going to run this year. He's never necessarily seen it in terms of since he's been a recruit. So if he's willing to wait, that's Washington's best chance. If they come out and they start slinging the ball a bunch and the receivers are coming and playing, the young receivers are coming in and making an impact, that gives Washington a chance. So I think Washington's best chance is for him to not make a decision early because if he's set on making a decision early before the season starts, that puts them at a disadvantage in my opinion. And in my opinion, from talking to some people close to his recruitment, LSU isn't one to count out. I don't think they'll end up being, you know, surpassing anyone. But I think LSU is a school that's hanging around a little bit, too, even with the losses of, of uh, Brady and uh, and the quarterback. Yeah, but the, the other thing with LSU is they were one of those schools that was supposed to get a visit from him this spring. You know, as it is right now, he's already had to cancel an Oklahoma visit. Um and push that back. LSU is supposed to get a visit from him in April. So now it's a matter of does he get out to LSU in June? He's still planning to visit Ohio State in June, planning to visit Clemson in June. So the LSU's biggest disadvantage is will he get back down there? He did get there last summer. He went to Alabama, Clemson, and LSU all kind of in a uh, one-week span during the July uh, contact period. So he has at least seen LSU and their you know, receiver – play was phenomenal last year and Jamar Chase graduates after the, or will leave early after the season so there could be 
you know, less of a logjam at LSU. And that's why I think Clemson's still the team to team to beat for him because they will too lose some receivers to the NFL this year, whereas Ohio State may have a little bit more. Not that he's afraid of competition. I don't think he's afraid of competition at all. You know, if, if it was competition was the issue, you know, I, I don't think he would have put up the numbers he has. I mean, Mech is a damn good competitor. I just think that there might be more of an opportunity to, to get the ball himself at a school where there's less of a depth chart issue. And that's where I think Clemson has a slight advantage over Ohio state. All right. And let's talk about the other one, the other big name, JT to the defensive tackle prospect, or well, we have him as a defensive tackle, but you think there's a chance that he could end up outside and, and things like that. Um, yep. From uh, Eastside Catholic, he's six, four, two, 277 pounds. And you would never know it that he was 277 pounds by the way he moves. I mean, it is ridiculous. You, you I think you were at the uh, seven on seven tournament when he played safety um, mm-hmm. for them at about, what was he? 250 at that point? 250, yeah. 245, 250 at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, the guy is just a freak of an athlete. He can go anywhere in the country. We're talking every, I would say the 50 top schools in the country have probably offered him at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's uh, a lot of offers that he's gotten that he hasn't even reported that we even put on his page. This There's yeah. so many of them that he has. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason for that is just because the reason he's gotten those offers is because you just don't see the athleticism and quick titch, quick twitch um, uh, abilities that he has at the size that he is. And um, so I, I think what a lot of people on dog man are wondering is, where does Washington stand? I, I still think Ohio State, possibly Alabama and Clemson are right up there along with Washington. I think Washington's done a really good job with him, but uh, give me your thoughts. I've said this <laughs> for a couple of years. I've said this especially for the last year. I will not count Washington out for the simple fact that you go to any Eastside Catholic game You'll see 50 people in orange T-shirts with blue number 33s on their T-shirts. Any place outside Seattle, you're not going to see that many family members and friends that will be at his game. That's the one thing that Washington really has going for them more than anything. They've done a good job as a defensive program. Obviously, the last few years, Pete Kwiatkowski and Jimmy Lake have done fantastic work with their guys up front, with their guys in secondary, with their guys at linebacker. They've done a great job. However, where Ohio State has the advantage over Washington is two words, Larry Johnson. And it's not just what Larry Johnson's done at Ohio State, where he's had the Bosa brothers and he's had Chase Young, but it goes back to what he did at Penn State and the pass rushers he's developed at Penn State. So you give his track record of developing pass rushers, and now he's about to have his third top five, top seven defensive end just in the last five years alone. And that's something that Washington can't match. And really, most schools can't match outside of Tuscaloosa. Washington has had a couple of defensive linemen get drafted in the first round of the last couple of years. Obviously, Danny Shelton and uh, Vita Vey. But in terms of true pass rushing ends, which JT fancies himself, Ohio State and Larry Johnson have that advantage. He's also got no real feeling of, you know, the school, the outside schools that are recruiting a lot of the national schools recruiting him, you know, that he, that's part of the reason they haven't reported the offers. I mean, there's only been a few schools that he's really seriously considered throughout this process. And that's been 
Obviously, Stanford being one of the first 2021 players that they offered. It's been Washington who offered him, I think, after his third game of his freshman year. It's been Alabama who had offered him at the end of his freshman season. It's been Ohio State, which has made him a priority. USC, I'm not going to count them out. That's the, the family. A lot of family ties to USC, one of the childhood favorites for him with a lot of family from Southern California. Uh, but I think really it's a two-horse race. It's between Ohio State and Washington. And I'm on foggy. You know, I know a lot of people are saying Ohio State and, you know, if signing day were tomorrow, I would tend to agree that Ohio State is in a very good spot for him. But I am not ruling Washington out entirely. That said, I'm also not ready to say Washington is going to be where he ends. I think, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of things change in the next few months because of the coronavirus and COVID and, and visits are a big part of that. And one thing that Ohio State kind of has hurting them is that JT still hasn't had a chance to get out to Columbus to see the school and to visit the campus. And so let's say the visit timelines keep getting pushed back and keep getting pushed back, but that signing day doesn't change. I don't see him signing with a school he's never been to. So maybe that puts a school like USC in a little bit better um, favor for him. Maybe Alabama has a chance there. But I think Washington has the home field advantage, but I don't think that that gives them any kind of superior advantage over Ohio State. I think it's going to come down to those two schools, and I'm still not willing to make a decision and bet where he's going to go. All right, Brandon, I appreciate you giving me this time. And I know Husky fans are, are have been, you know, jonesing for any kind of information. And I could tell these guys everything you just told me, but unless it comes from your mouth, they don't care. So, oh, welcome they, to your father, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm getting ready for it. Trust me. Um, Brandon, uh, t- tell us a little bit about what's going on with your daughter's uh, charity that, that you're that you're working on. Yeah, so obviously, like many local businesses and and nonprofits, we're kind of in a state of flux right now because of the coronavirus really shutting down, you know, a lot of businesses. And, you know, we're not uh, a a charity that really wants to to reach out and push for money when finances are tight. But our mission hasn't changed. Our our goals haven't changed. And at the Avery Huffington Defeat DFUG Foundation, we're still committed to finding a cure for the disease that took our, our daughter's life a little more than four years ago. Um, you know, we, we are still uh, doing what we can to, to raise awareness and, and to raise funds for research. And right now we know there's uh, other medical stuff that has become a priority. We completely understand everybody's affected by that. Uh, but that doesn't mean our mission's changed at all. Um, we continue to, to go to bat for uh, pediatric brain cancer and for specifically DIPG, the, the disease specifically that took Avery's life. And, you know, we're hoping that things get back to normal so that we can proceed with some of our big events uh, that we have on the docket for the year, especially later in the year. We have our Be Strong Go Go Gala, by the way. The Huskies have a buy that weekend. So if the gala does go on as scheduled, Husky fans, you have no game to worry about that day. So come on down and join us at, at Green River College. Uh, in the meantime, you know, if you can just continue to, to help us share our story as we share it and, you know, our goal of a million dollars in five years might be in jeopardy with the way things are going economically right now. But our, our goal to continue to share her story, to share her legacy will never stop and will never change. And so we continue to do that and appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share about her. Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, we really appreciate it. I know as um, I know you have four children, but three are living with you. And I know it's hard to find any kind of time um to to get away so i appreciate you uh taking this time and i know husky fans do too thanks a lot you bet thanks scott
All right, and we're get, with that, we're going to end this, and we'll be talking to you soon. Go dogs. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.